ladies and gentlemen. Uh, let's get ready to rumble! So, I didn't know Marvel was on the verge of bankruptcy in the mid-90s. Yeah, so what happened was, and I didn't realize this, is that I guess in the late 80s, um, comics, I guess they were starting to see like significant resale value on the original comic books from like the 1940s. Okay. And so Marvel especially starts marketing comic books hard as like an investment. Okay. Because people are starting to see resale value on like sure. Superman 1 or whatever. Sure. And so everybody starts buying comic books because they think it's an investment. And then another thing they do was they put would put like trading cards in comic books. Okay. But let's say there were like five cards in a set. Right. You'd have to buy the same comic book five times to get every card in the set. Okay. And uh, Or probably more than five times. Was it random? I think well, I think they'd have like a set of five cards or something that, and it would like say which card came of, with in which book. Yeah, like you'd open okay. up the comic book and you'd see it in like a okay, yeah, sure, in like a plastic sheeting, and so they just did all these gimmicks to try and push out as many comic books as possible. Sure, and I can't remember who it was. It was like uh, it wasn't Neil, maybe it was Neil Gaiman. I don't know, but it was some author who he spoke at like a business conference and he said, "You guys are turning comic books into tulips." And you're turning America into Holland in the 1600s. Hmm. You're building a house of cards. This isn't going to last. It's all going to collapse. And sure enough, in the mid-90s, people were just like, why the hell am I buying five issues of the same comic book? Right. Right? Yeah. And I think even, like, I have a, there was a Carnage comic book that was just Carnage. And the the storyline was called It's a Wonderful Life. And I had issue one, or I still have it at my parents' house, issue one, volume one. Yeah. I think it was probably six dollars. Right. Guess how much it sells for on eBay. How much? Six dollars? Twenty bucks. Twenty bucks. And that's hey. from Okay. That's from nineteen ninety six. So I guess it's like I don't like that's not a huge return, right? No. Well, I get like maybe in a percentage I guess you've you've tripled your money over twenty five years. I mean I don't I'm I guess. You've yeah, tripled that's your true. but really like you turned six bucks into twenty bucks. But it's not like I could have gone out and bought five hundred thousand of them, and turned, uh, you turned know, into three million a, yeah. into into how six million or whatever. Like yeah. that, that wouldn't have happened. So, I think that's what people were starting to see in the mid nineties. Is they're like, I've got this garage full of comic books, and they're not worth any more than what sure. I paid for them. Yeah. So people just stopped buying comic books and or stop buying as many comic books and then marvel's on the verge of bankruptcy wow yeah so they started making movies to try to bail themselves out okay so it gets a little bit more interesting than that oh, you have this oh, oh the plot thickens <laughs> the plot thickens. so you got this uh company called toy biz and they marvel been licensing um, their toys or licensing their their superheroes to Toy Biz to make toys. Sure. And so, this guy named Avi Arad uh, from Toy Biz, he kind of battles his way to take over Marvel, or at least the Marvel Studios division. 
and his idea was he was going to focus on licensing uh, characters to movies. And he also right. drove a lot of cartoons in the mid-90s, like the, the Spider-Man cartoon. Like, I watched the Spider-Man cartoon religiously. Sure. And he was the mastermind behind that. Okay. And that's kind of like what we talked about with Aerosmith. Like, he's all of a sudden reinserting Marvel superheroes into a younger generation. Okay, sure, sure. And I don't know whether or not it's intentional, but I know when the Spider-Man movie came out, I saw it, like, opening day... And the reason why I love Spider-Man so much wasn't because of the 1960s cartoon. is because of that 1996 cartoon. Yeah. And same nostalgia, thing with the X-Men. Exa- well, it wasn't nostalgia. It was just... It was this thing I adored is finally going to be on the big screen. Like, yeah. Yeah. Same thing with the X-Men movies. There was an X-Men cartoon in the ni- early to mid-90s. Right. And then they make an X-Men movie. There was no way in hell I was not seeing that movie. See, and, and I watched, like, Transformers as a kid... No, I didn't even watch it. I played with the toys. We never had cable, so yeah. the only shows I watched were like Pinky and the Brain and, uh, well, Mr. Dress-Up. Yeah. And, I mean, there's no Mr. Dress-Up movie, <laughs> unfortunately. But if it came out, you would be first <laughs> I'd in be line. I'd be first in line. <laughs> but I did play with Transformers a lot, and I had to go see yeah. the Transformers movie when it came out, and I loved it. Yeah. And... uh and I played with a ton of Ninja Turtles toys too. And I had, I was old when these things came out, but I still had to go see them just because, you know, they were like, they raised me. Yeah. Oh, totally. So, what did you think about like Michael Bay's Ninja Turtles? Because I just think like the first, especially the first Ninja Turtles was a pretty grounded, mature movie. Yeah. Do you remember it? So, uh, oh, you mean like the old school ones? Like the 90s like ones? Like with Jim Henson. Like it was like. No, I don't remember those. Okay, so like the first one, I remember watching it as a teenager, and I was like, "Oh, like this is interesting." Huh? Like it, they're kind of. It wasn't uh, too childish. Like, okay, sure. It, there, there was a big thing about like the foot being like a gang and rounding up aimless youth, which was like a big theme of the nineties. Totally. Like, I think you could sum up the nineties. It was aimless, alienated youth, <laughs> and so that's a big theme in it. And then, like Shredder gets killed by by being thrown into a, a garbage truck. Okay. And Casey Jones turns on the compactor and he gets crushed to death at the Great. end. Great. Oh, that's good. And like, you've got all these, you've got these really emotional scenes with, like with the Ninja Turtles almost falling apart and Splinter, they think he's dead. And I like, it was a pretty grounded, decent movie for older people and kids. Interesting. And I think, I even remember watching it as a kid thinking, oh, some of this is a bit too serious for me. It's like a little grown like, up. Yeah. And then watching it, when it later, I was like, oh, no wonder my parents could stand to watch this movie with me. Because <laughs> it's not so bad. It's right? a little grown yeah. up. Like it was, yeah, it really grounded kind of like in the same way Christopher huh. Nolan's Batman movies were yeah. like they're really grounded in reality kind of thing. It was, sure. Then like Secret of the U's got a little bit silly with Vanilla Ice at the end <laughs> he's in yeah. that i didn't yeah know at the end it. go ninja go ninja go wow <laughs> like they they're the fight they act they're fighting in like an industrial district and then they end up accidentally breaking into this nightclub in a warehouse and vanilla ice is performing <laughs> and then <laughs> wow and then and then all of a sudden he starts you know he's singing like whatever song he's singing and then he sees the ninja turtles and all of a sudden starts singing his ninja song <laughs> his ninja turtle song that i guess he was apparently you know, he has he was freestyling <laughs> <laughs> oh that's wicked i feel like yeah. i gotta watch these man 
Oh, TMNT. Se- Secret of the Ooze. I think, like, even my kids love that movie. Oh, that's great. Good on you for bringing back the classics. Oh, yeah. Well, thank you. I yeah. Need, I need a pat on the back every now you, and then. You do. You, you're yeah. worth it. Thanks. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so Spider-Man, like, so, I mean, nostalgia brought you back, or just because, well, it wasn't that long ago. It wasn't it even nostalgia, because it, it was, was like, still like, the cartoon was in 96, and I probably watched it till 98, so I watched it till I was 12, and then the first movie came out 2001 or 2002, I was only 13 or 14. Yeah, like, so this is still, still... It was still part legit. of my childhood. I was just incredibly excited to see it. Sure. Right? So... Yeah, Spider-Man. I mean, like, the thing that brought superhero movies back was Blade. But, you know, I was looking through this, and, like, I don't know if they ever really went away. We had a lot of, like, crappy ones, but it seems like we've always liked superhero movies. Okay, so studios were, they were not keen to make another superhero movie. After the Batman kind of stuff. Batman and Robin. The nipples and codpiece body armor. Sure, sure, sure. That's where it kind of started falling apart. It was like, it got too silly. The returns were getting worse. Yeah. And and they're like, I don't think we want to do this again. So Avi Arad, who he's been driving these cartoons and what he wants to do is licensing. He asks Marvel, he's like, what's like, what's a relatively cheap character we can sell to the studio? And they're like, I, you can try Blade. I don't even know if Blade had his own comic. I think he's just like a supporting character. Okay. So he's relatively cheap. So Aviard, po- uh, you know, proposes the idea to New Line Sim- Cinema. And they decide to make this Blade movie. Do you remember Blade 1? Have you seen Blade Yeah, 1? I've not seen it, no. But I remember it for sure. I mean, who can't see, who can't not see Wesley Snipes in glasses and that trench coat? And I think, like, if there's anyone ever born to play a role... <laughs> Wesley Snipes was born to play Blade. He fulfilled the, the measure of his creation in playing Blade. Like, <laughs> oh, after wow. that, and coincidentally, you know, after Blade, he ended up going to jail for a few years for tax evasion. <laughs> so he he was just like, you know what? I've done, I've completed my life's work. I guess I can go to jail now. I've, I've done everything. <laughs> I'm good. I was meant to do. I'm good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Blade, like my dad had that movie at his paintball shop and I would watch it all day, every day I worked there. Right. I loved that movie so much. It Everything about it was awesome. Yeah. And I think what made it awesome was they just made, and it, like we talked about this last time, they just made a good movie about a guy who hunts vampires. Okay. Right, and they were kind of like there were a few vampire movies in the in the nineties. Like we started riding the vampire wave way before Twilight. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Interview like, with a vampire. There's Lost Boys. I actually watched um, From Dusk Till Dawn last okay. week. Okay, yeah. Have you seen From Is... Dusk Till Dawn? It's George Clooney and Quentin Tarantino in an acting role. Now, do we all agree that what we are dealing with is vampire? Yes. You too, preacher? I don't believe in vampires, but I believe in what I saw. We're having Good some technical you. difficulties here. Hey, okay. what happened? Uh, my USB died or whatever. Oh, okay. Um, 
Yeah, sometimes my computer tells me I don't have enough power to run the USB device. Oh, so okay. I think I bought, I replaced my battery recently, and I think I bought a, the cheapest, well, I know I bought the cheapest one I could find, which probably <laughs> means it doesn't work so good. <laughs> so good for you, Blake. Way to go, yeah, Blake. <laughs> that's a story of my life. Way to yeah. go. So, <laughs> but, so, Blade, what were we talking about? We're talking about Dusk Till Dawn. Dusk Till Dawn. Have you seen from Dusk Till Dawn? Hayek. Yeah. yeah man. Who has not seen that part of from Dusk Till Dawn? Is that what you're trying to see? Uh, no, that's not what I'm trying to say. Although I will say I don't really remember <laughs> a lot of the movie except for that part. She plays an exotic dancer. Yeah. Not exactly a stripper, but just does a weird dance with a snake. Weird is maybe not the right word, but go on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but Okay, George Clooney. And he swears like no other through that whole movie. <laughs> right? And he's got his hair dyed black. Yeah. And he's just shooting people like, oh. And then I just love, like, I just love how they're in the that nightclub or whatever. Right. And it's just like the vampires do not stop coming. Like that movie. Yeah. It's like an hour of boring exposition and then an hour of shooting vampires in a nightclub. It's great. And like it never stops, right? Isn't there the guy with like the... The dong gun, like his cod piece has a revolver in it. Uh, yeah, I'm sure that's yeah. The thing. But I just remember he gets like some kind of leaf blower, uh huh. But then attaches a huge spike to the end of it, and somehow it like oscillates, and so it's just like a perpetual <laughs> stabbing machine, <laughs> uh, right? Because they go like they go into the back of the nightclub to run away, and then they just find all this stuff that truckers have left behind, right? right? Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, and so they just use random crap to make weapons. That's awesome. That's great. And then, yeah, yeah. So we're all yeah. Interview with the vampire, Buffy the Vampire Slayer oh, yeah, from Dusk Till Dawn. Totally. Yeah, a whole TV series, right? Like we were riding this vampire wave, and then so it's just kind of like a perfect storm where they license this vampire killing character, pretty much make a vampire movie like loosely based on a comic book character, right? And it was a huge success. It's so funny. And so this, it just kind of, um, it reaffirmed or it rebuilt Hollywood's faith in making money on comic books. So what do you think? Comic book movies. Did something change? Like, did the way we make movies change? Did the audience change? Like, what made Blade successful when whatever they were doing for the last 10 years wasn't? I think, like, my theory... We don't like comic book movies. We like good stories. Right. Who the characters are is irrelevant. Sure. We like a good story. And I think they just made a good movie. Like David S. Coyer wrote the script. So what you're saying is people just want to watch a good movie. And and so probably, so maybe what happens is, hear me out on this. Follow me. Try to to keep up if you can with my deranged brains. So yeah. we make a super, we make a Batman movie in 1966, actually. Yeah. And people love Batman, so it's good. And then we make Superman movie like in 70, whatever, 70? 78. 78 was the first one. Oh, that was a while later. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, yeah, that's right. So people love Superman, but then we keep making Superman movies, you know, akin to what's happening now where you see something that's making money you're you're the studio did you just say akin no i would never say that you said it no that's crazy 
you were talking about podcasting voices. That who? When have you ever said a kin? I use big words sometimes. That's not even a big well, word. Well, that's not even it's only big four words. letters. It's just who says it. I, I I say words like that from time to time. We have to call each other out when we do no, when we go into our radio. That voice. was not a radio voice. <laughs> but fine. It's like okay, fine. Okay, well, I'll use a different word. Similar okay. to what's happening currently in this climate. <laughs> okay, this is better. Um. But this is better. This is much better. <laughs> so, like, what's happening now is we've got – we make a movie, and if it does well, we just make it as much – in as many ways and shapes and colors and iterations as we can think of until it stops making us money. You know what I mean? Like – Yeah, I think that's, like, human nature. Sure, I th- sure. Right, yeah. Um, And, and that's the that's the capitalist side of movies where the art kind of gets pushed to the side. And we make a movie like The Matrix that's just a single standalone movie, but it does really yeah. well. So we're like, well, crap, we got to make another one because We've of the money. Two more. And then that one still makes money. So we're like, well, we got to make another one. And then that one, yeah. nobody really likes. So we're like, okay, let's just move on to something else. We could probably make one more and still make some money, but but maybe not. We'll just move they on. They did to make the Animatrix. Yeah, they did that, right? So they made like three and a half movies. But that's the way we do it, right? Like Hollywood gets a hold of something that does well and they just like, they just milk it till it's dry. And then, and so the quality keeps going down and, and perhaps this is what's happening with superhero movies. You know, we've got like, yeah, Superman is a big hit. I mean, Superman's been like the guy. So did you know that Superman was made in like 1928, I think. And he was the like the only superhero for eleven years yeah. until thirty nine. Batman shows up. Oh, really? Yeah. So it was just Superman. He was the only guy. Was Batman always an orphan? I don't know. In the comic books, do you? Know I don't that? know. No. I was wondering that. When I say Superman was the only guy, I could be wrong there. There were probably other superheroes, but I think Superman was like the real, the only, like the only one that we still have that's big and famous and whatever. And Batman didn't show up. The next like A list superhero didn't show up for eleven years in comics, and then Wonder Woman came out shortly thereafter. But it's like, it took time for I don't know. Superman's just always been the dude. Yeah. My yeah. point being, I suppose that like we get into Superman, we just bleed it out, and then we get into whatever came next, Howard the Duck, Batman. And then we get into Batman in the eighties. Yeah. And we just bleed Batman until we get nipples, literally. So, uh, <laughs> On the body armor. You know, and the and the wedgie, some reason, Batman, Bruce Wayne <laughs> was like, wedgie. you know what would make my outfit better? If it pushed directly into my crack. Directly into my butt crack. Like, it's real good. If I could just feel it. Yeah. If I could feel it more personally. Sometimes I'm worried that my pants have fallen off. If I could just have something pressed into my crevice, <laughs> so I know the pants so are the still up. So are on. And if it's impossible for me to bend over. Right. Cause, or kick, <laughs> I think this will be a really effective <laughs> garment, uh, clothing, <laughs> clothing line. I don't know why. Now the only thing going through my head is that one line from Batman Forever, where Doctor Chase Meridian touches Batman's chest for the first time and says, "A black rubber." Rubber. <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> Oh. Where's the relevance? <laughs> so, anyways, we kill Batman. Just talking about bleeding. Yeah, we killed Batman, right? And then, 
everything's just dying. So we try, we try blade and holy crap, it works. Yeah. So now and then, we're going to bleed. Yeah. We're just going to bleed superhero movies dry. Well, I think like there's a little, there's something a little bit different that the MCU did from previous, um, movie franchises okay. that made it successful. So I think one thing that was good was you had Kevin phase or fag or what if i call him kevin fag is that offensive yeah you're how dare you f-e-i-g-e i don't know phase i don't know right we'll call him kevin fag yeah right now so he started running the show and he was 33 years old so if, in case you want to feel depressed yeah. i mean he's 33 but i think you had one overall showrunner over these 20 movies Okay. Instead oh. of just kind of like, Tim Burton's going to oh, do his thing. Oh, I see, I see. And then Joel Schumacher's going to do his thing. And then some other guy's going to do his yeah. thing. And they're all going to reinvent this character in the same continuity. Yeah. But, you know, so you've got kind of one central vision. But then the other thing is, is that, like, they would interview directors instead of just hiring directors. So they come to the director and they'd say, okay, here's our idea. Here's our very, very rough outline for a thor movie and here's a printout of all these different thor images from all these different thor comic books what would you do with thor yeah and then they just keep they keep bringing in directors and saying what would you do with thor what would you do with what would you do with iron man what would you do with this guy and they just kind of let it grow and develop and whichever director ends up having the best idea and is at it the most that's the guy they sure pick so it's like this process of elimination idea bouncing. That's interesting. They probably don't do that with a lot of movies. No, I don't know. I, like, I can't think of... Like, if you read the wiki page on the MCU, they call it an unconventional practice. Yeah, because I imagine they... Well, I don't know. I wonder how they normally go about picking a director. Is it usually the director picks the movie? Uh, they The studio might come up with a movie, and then they go out and hire a director. Maybe sometimes it's the director pushing the movie on Hollywood. Hmm. Um, but this is interesting. But this I, is a weird way to do this it. This kind of round table idea. Yeah. And then they also they go out and they get directors who kind of had unique experience in filming other movies. Sure, yeah. Guys that... And guys, they didn't just go out and get action guys. They didn't go out and just get superhero guys. Yeah. Like, they got John Favreau to do Iron Man, and he'd only done Elf. I think we talked about right, that last right. time. But Elf was a really, really funny movie. Elf was awesome. And, like, very, very clever, yeah. right? And, wow, Iron Man is a very, very clever, very, very funny superhero. It's like if you can make a good movie in one genre, maybe you can make a good movie in more than one genre. Another genre. Yeah. Yeah, you got, like, the Russo brothers came on to do the last couple and they'd only done arrested development and community but those are great shows man they're amazing shows right yeah. and i think the other thing you get with some of these guys is that those shows even though they might not have like a huge following the following that they do have is insanely loyal oh, just just uh like fully absorbed in the kool-aid right yeah and so i think that's why you get mcu <laughs> fan like you see people at church wearing like a Captain America belt buckle. <laughs> totally. And they're going to church. Yeah. yeah. Or they're wearing like a Superman tie or whatever. Like you get these people who are so insanely. And, and I'm talking about adults. 
<laughs> like grown men in their forties wearing like a Captain America belt buckle at a religious service. Yeah. And it's like, how did you get yeah. so loyal? Oh, well, if we want people who are so loyal that they're going to wear our merch in the most inappropriate circumstances <laughs> we can think of, let's get these guys who've made like insanely like movies with an insanely good cult following. Dude, I think you hit it on the head too that like it's religion. You know, they're turning it these right. superheroes are are becoming our gods. Like they're yeah, oh yeah. So it makes me wonder yeah. If I was in ancient Greece, right. how literally would I have believed in the Greek gods? Yeah, did they or was it How literally did the Greeks believe in their gods? Maybe they were just stories you told around the campfire. And they all just knew they were awesome stories. And they, like, and hoped, just, maybe. Yeah. There's that little hope that they were real. Hope. Yeah. Like, I remember when I used to watch X-Men when I was, like, eight, I could just dream right? that claws were going to pop out of my hands. Yeah. And I'd have enhanced senses. Right. Like, I used to just want it so bad. Yeah. Yeah. To be Wolverine, right? <laughs> what I did end up becoming was, like... A jaded, grumpy, <laughs> sarcastic a hole. So, like, with none of the good looks yeah. or muscles. But... So, like, the opposite of Wolverine. Wolverine's a grumpy, jaded a hole. Help us. Fight with us. Fight with you? Or join the team? Be an X Man? What the hell do you think you are? You're a mutant. This is Ugh. is this your cheapo battery? No, I don't know, man. I, I I don't think I'm using the right cable for my mic. You have to plug it in. Oh, see, I've <laughs> been okay. That makes yep. I'm with you. Okay. Okay. You got it now. Okay. How long have I been okay. alive? I'm just getting this. <laughs> wow. Kevin Fage Fage. So he's been. What's his role been in all of this? Who is this guy? What does he do? He's like the showrunner oh, at Marvel. Like his, Marvel he's the president of Marvel. Yeah, of Marvel Studios. So he just runs the show. Okay, and so what? What was he doing back then when he first got involved? Was he the president of Marvel Studios? I think so. Hmm. I should really research these. So things having before one we, guy uh, involved, though, I think is a part of it. I think that's part of what makes keeps stuff good is having like one person over all of it. You know, our problem yeah. with the with the Star Wars. Postquel, what do the sequel trilogy? I guess. Yeah, yeah. I think part of the problem is there's no continuity when you're switching from Abrams to Johnson to whoever, and then back to Abrams. Yeah, you know, like Abrams set up a bunch of cool stuff, and then Ryan Johnson's like, "Yeah, I don't like that. We're gonna do something else." I'm, I so did you not like Revenge of the Whatever? The Last what, Jedi. What's it called? Death. You yeah, know what? I watched The Last Jedi in the theater like five times. Yeah. Trying to convince myself that I liked it. Really? Yeah. And like the more I watched it, the more I liked it, but I never really liked it. Right. I think it's a pretty good movie, but there's just yeah. no there's no like sparkle for me. Yeah, I see that. The thing like, what I liked about it, it's like it was a photo negative of Empire Strikes Back. Okay. It was like all the significant plot points you could have had in the Empire Strikes Back, they reversed them. Mm. So the great reveal about Rey 
that her parents were nobodies. Yeah. I can't think of a reveal of her parents that would be as shocking as as uh, when Luke found out Darth Vader was his yeah. father, is saying this main character is There's nobody special about you. That's the biggest twist I could imagine. <laughs> Honestly, right? And and in Empire Strikes Back, when they said Luke, when he said, I am your father, right. nobody believed it. And so they, that's why at the start of uh, Return of the Jedi, Yoda has to confirm and Obi-Wan has to confirm huh. that Darth Vader is his sure. father because everybody was in such disbelief. And I am in such disbelief that Ray, Ray's parents were nobodies that I'm honestly like, okay, if in the third movie it doesn't get confirmed, I still will not believe it. Yeah, that's fair. I don't believe it. I don't think right? anyone believes it. But I, no. I think we don't believe it because, well, A, because of the like quote-unquote logic behind it, which is so silly. How can you argue logic about a mystical made-up universe with magical stuff? But anyways, <laughs> she's such a Mary Sue that like they're, you know, we want to have a logical reason for it. But yeah. B, more importantly, I think, it just – I think the fiction is just better. The story is just better if there's something important about her. Yeah. You know? Well, because like that's been the driving force behind the previous seven movies totally. is that there's something special there's about There's a prophecy someone. and like there's a chosen one and all of this kind of stuff, yeah. you know. There's a heritage. It's been the Skywalker story. The entire, the entire six movies have been this, the story of the Skywalkers. You know, yeah. and then to just be like, this is this no. is the next movie in that arc, but uh, it's not not about them anymore. Well, it still is because of Kylo Ren. Yeah, well, it has to be. But, but he's so unlikable. Yeah, Ky- <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right, even without his shirt on, he's still unlikable. He's, I, he's a great character. Well, I don't know. I think he's people unlikable. A lot of people think he's like the greatest thing. He's so whiny. It's like the revenge of uh, Hayden Christensen. It's like Luke Skywalker turned to the dark side. That's true. When he like, was still, before he got to Toshi Station. Yeah, to get some power converters. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, but anyways, what I, was, what I was thinking or saying is I think that, you know, keeping the same people on a project for the long term is probably... Yeah. Probably, or at least... <clears throat> Well, yeah, they have different directors for all this, all the Marvel movies, but you've got one showrunner, yeah, and, and kind of one guy guiding the Absolutely. vision, and and I know sometimes, and I've done this before, and I think I've had bosses do this to me, where you know what you need to do, or what the goal is, or what the process should be, but in order to get everybody on your side, you pretend that you don't know what it is. And then you have a meeting and say, we've got this problem. What should we do about it? And then you guide the conversation uh, to get to what you think it should right. be. But you make everybody in the room think it was their idea so that they're amped yeah. about it. And I think that's kind of what Phage has done with all these directors is he's like, what do you think we should do with this movie? But in the back of his mind, he's like, I know what I we're doing what with we're this doing. movie. He like he just makes them think it's their as idea. As he's leaving their office, a piece of paper falls out of his pocket. Oh wait, you left this, but he's gone. And then they read it, and they're like, "That's fucking genius." <laughs> and they're sitting in their office, like, 
laughing quietly to themselves. (laughs) This will be the best movie ever. (laughs) Meanwhile, Kevin's in his office laughing quietly to himself. (laughs) Frickin' Kevin. Exactly. So, hmm. I feel like superhero movies have changed, too. But I don't... Well, I don't know. I think... Oh, for sure, they've, they've become a lot more grounded, I think. Like, I was just watching Ragnarok, and when Thor and Loki show up in New York City, and people come and get autographs, you know, and they take selfies and stuff, like that, yeah, if we had superheroes just walking around downtown, that That would would definitely happen. I guess they have. They become more, more like, realistic while still being stupid and not realistic in any way, but maybe more, more believable, kind of. You know, we got away from from the cartoony uh comic book like top top whatever three ring circus from batman forever with all the crazy neon lights and and the riddler's weird like what was he even in you know his base well his base well his base was his thing that connected to all those other things that were on people's heads that made them uh yeah that's yeah and he was able to absorb everybody's thoughts yeah and that was crazy that, you know, those green beams of energy, which I think were just not, were supposed to be representative. That wasn't actually happening, but, but yeah. I don't know. Just, it was like so over the top and the yeah. movies oh, yeah. now are much less insane. Maybe. For sure. I think one thing that Nolan's Batman trilogy yeah. did was it played on current issues. So like I just watched the Dark Knight Rises. Mm-hmm. And I remember I'm having flashbacks to that Occupy Wall Street. Oh yeah, totally. And right, and that was a big thing in uh, Dark Knight Rises. Is you know the poor people all rise up and start running the show, yeah. and they break into the stock exchange tower and rob the rich, and um, the the threat of terrorism and terrorists. So. Here's that a, I know like it's kind of faded in the last 10 years but I can remember you know we were at war with ISIS yeah. like hardcore right like so Nolan kind of used contemporary issues to make the movie more relatable mm-hmm. I know like uh in the dark knight was pretty much a movie about like the patriot act totally yeah right yeah. with which it's funny that and like surveillance. that's the thing that Lucius Fox just will not do yeah spy on people with their phones but it ends up being the thing that saves the day so and it's the only thing that can stop the terrorists so So you have to do it did christopher nolan support the patriot act or not that's in times of emergency maybe he supports it you know because like you have to but then you got to burn it down right after but then what if you need it again that's my thing that's why my basement looks like a hoarder's wet dream (laughs) because what if i need this Torn in half box of Ritz Bits crackers again. Especially the torn in half. You never one. know. It's cardboard. You yeah. never know when you're going to need cardboard. Yeah. Or, or that desk that's in pieces. What even is that? Why do you have a desk in I don't pieces? Know. I have so much stuff in this basement. <clears throat> so. So how have they changed? since the 2000s like x-men x-men did pretty well right yeah 
but uh, the first yeah but not as well as Catwoman with Halle Berry 